Uh, if you turn your Bibles to Third John with me, Third John, as we continue to make our way through that epistle. And as you turn there, uh, one other thing uh, that uh, our dear sister Davine Pugh has uh, gone to be with the Lord, and so we are we're sad. You know, we're, we're sad. I'm certainly going to miss her. I think all of us who spent time with her would tell tell you just what a great joy it was to, to be in, in her presence. But uh, we're sad, but we're rejoicing that she is now in the presence of, of our Heavenly Father. And so we're, we're excited for her this morning as well as, as she uh, passed away yesterday. So uh, Third John, as we think about other examples to imitate in our, our life, think of Davine, think here of a man named Demetrius. And we're going to look at verses 11 and 12 as we continue reading John's letter to his friend Gaius. And if you're able to, if you'd stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. Third John, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone, and from the truth itself, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. May you, you may be seated. Let's be encouraged through uh, God's word this morning. Uh, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for uh, this, this passage, this example of Demetrius we come to, and we, we thank you for our, our church. We, we thank you for the, the good examples that you've provided us in, in life to look at as we see others living the Christian life and living in obedience to you. And we do think of our, our dear friend, Davine, and, and we mourn her, and we pray for her family this morning. We pray for those of us who loved her and know some of her dear friends here at the church. Pray that you'd comfort them and give them peace. And we pray that you'd help us as, as a church to uh, emulate her and others in areas in which they are obedient to you. We pray that our church would have the ability to live a life that brings glory and honor to you and exalts the name of your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. My youngest daughter, Ellie, eight years old, and she has begun to do this a couple of months ago, this impersonation type thing, kind of this, this show that she does. Now, she, she only does these impersonations uh, in the quietness of our family, just our, only our family's there, and she won't always even do them for us. She has to be in just the right mood, just the right people. And she'll only do the imitations once. Like, she'll do it, she'll do something, and then you ask her to do it again. She says, no, I'm done, you know, kind of, I'm out of here, one performance only. Uh, and and she, she's hilarious. We just roll on the floor laughing whenever we see her do these, these impersonations of, of people in the family. And a couple of you. But, but mostly, <laughs> mostly people in our family. Uh, and and the the thing that makes them so funny is she really she really picks out these these weird things that we do these idiosyncrasies. I had to ask each member of the family, "Hey, are you okay with me sharing that Ellie does this? Because some of these affect you." And, and they said they they were okay with it. But um, now I can't do them too. I, I can't do them the way that she does them. But but basically, she'll kind of start doing these things, and we'll we'll recognize who she's talking about. So she'll just start going, "Hey, hey, mom, hey, dad, hey, hey," and we're okay. You're being your brother. That's very funny. You know, that's one of the things that he's he's done. Or she'll she'll do, um, "Well, 
bye. I'll see you later. And okay, well, you're an eighth grade girl. You're Hannah. And if you've seen any of the eighth grade girls in our church, you see how they say goodbye to each other. And it's just the side hug. It's hilarious. It was a lot funnier in first service because there were so many eighth grade girls there. <laughs> or she'll say things like, honey, uh, babe, uh, I don't know if the kids should watch that show, babe. Uh, right, that's, that's your mom. And then she does this laugh um, that the other people in our family say kind of sounds like me, but I don't know. She's, she's sometimes on, she's sometimes off on those things. So it's like... But the, the thing that makes it funny is she's able to, to pick out our, our foibles, our, our little idiosyncrasies, that the things that, that make us kind of unique. She, she picks them out and she's able to consciously imitate them. All of us are imitators, right? Some of us consciously pick out things that that we're imitating other people, but all of us, whether we're conscious of it or not, are imitators. We're looking at people around us, and we're living life based upon how other people live life. We look at the way that a person handles their finances, and and that influences how we handle our finances, or we look at how a, a person parents, and that affects how we parent, or we look at how other people are in friendships, and that affects how we do friendships, or we look what other people wear, or what kind of homes they live in. We are constantly imitating other people, and in fact, this morning, I want to encourage you in that. I want to encourage you in the spiritual discipline of imitation, uh, to imitate those who love and know and are following Jesus Christ. In fact, that, that's the main thing I want you to see in this, this text this, this morning as, as we look at uh, Demetrius' life here. You know, we've looked at John, kind of looked at John and talked about some lessons from leadership. We looked at Gaius and the way in which he practiced hospitality and how we need to emulate that. And hospitality be kind of a, a, an overarching theme of Third John. We looked at Diotrephes and we saw how he was inhospitable and lessons in church conflict that we learned from Diotrephes' negative example. And as we look at Demetrius this morning, again, the main thing that I want you to grasp is that you and I need to imitate those who know and love and are imitating the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I want to commend to you this morning, that the spiritual discipline of imitating others, of imitating godly people. And what we're going to do is I want us to look at kind of three truths about imitation, kind of three thoughts about imitation, and then as we come to that third thought, we're going to expand on it and look at some practical ways in which we emulate others, okay? So let's, let's dive into the text here, and first of all, the first thing that I want you to think about is this truth. Uh, we are imitators. We are imitators. John says this in verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. And he's writing to his friend Gaius there. It's the fourth time he's used that word beloved, or some translations say dear friend. And he's saying, don't imitate evil, but imitate good. And what is John's assumption there, an assumption that's correct? The assumption is that we're going to imitate someone or something. As we live life, so much of what we do and how we conduct ourselves is is based upon what other people do. It's a God-given design by which we, we learn how to do things. We imitate people. Whenever I look at a, a person, I, I see how they handle their finances, and I handle my finances in some, similar ways. Or if I'm with Whitney, sometimes I'm talking to Whitney, and, and she'll start talking in a certain way. I'm like, uh, 
I know who you've been hanging around. Your, your sentence structure, your, your, your inflection sounds just like so-and-so. And she'll say, yeah, that is. Or sometimes whenever I'm talking, I, I'll use an expression and I'll think, oh, that, that sounds exactly like so-and-so. We are shaped by the people that we're around. We're imitators. And because of that truth, that reality, that we are imitators, God has given us the process of becoming like him by means of discipleship. A discipleship is both a formal and informal process by which we are around other people and we, we learn how to be like Christ. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 28. Remember Matthew 28, we come to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus calls his disciples there and he, and he says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples. And the main instruction there is to to make disciples. He says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And the way in which a first century discipleship would work is a rabbi would take upon himself a disciple. And this disciple's responsibility was just to listen and to watch and to observe. The disciple would go with the rabbi, would travel to different places, and would just watch how the rabbi lived his life. The goal of a disciple was not to offer suggestions to the rabbi and say, hey, rabbi, what do you think about maybe handling the situation this way? The goal of the disciple, especially the early stages of the discipleship relationship, was to be quiet and watch and listen and learn how to live life. Now, eventually a disciple was able to speak and to talk, the goal of the disciple, even at that stage, was not to say anything new. He was to learn exactly what his rabbi taught and repeat it word for word. And then, after he had that mastered, the goal was to be able to take his rabbi's teaching and apply it in new circumstances. But it was never about his teaching, it was about his rabbi's teaching. In other words, the goal of first century discipleship was not innovation, but imitation. The goal of a disciple was not to innovate and say, hey, here's some some new ways about how to think about life and reality, but the disciple's responsibility and desire was to imitate those who had already had those things figured out. The goal of a Christian disciple was to be like Jesus, okay? Here's how Jesus lived. Now, I want to live my life in a similar way. Now, what's interesting, too, I want you to notice this here in Matthew 28 as we think about applications for ourselves. Because of the reality that we are imitators, we can engage in the process of discipleship. We can become like other people. And it's interesting that the command here is given to Jesus' followers. In other words, all of us, because of this reality that we're imitators, have a responsibility to both be discipling others and being discipled ourselves. You don't have to reach some sort of super level of spiritual maturity to be a good influence on other people. We're imitators. The goal is not innovation. The goal is imitation. And if you think about your life, I think you'd be hard-pressed to think of some area of life that hasn't been shaped by, by imitating others. How you view even things that are entertaining is is shaped by what other people find entertaining. The color scheme in your house has been shaped by imitation. 
how you relate as a, as a husband and wife or as friends or as, as family members. It's, it's all been shaped by, by imitation, imitation that begins at a very, very young age. Uh, Paul would tell Timothy this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He would say, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul says, look, here's what, here's what I learned and I, I taught it to you and now I want you to take it and teach it to other people and I want you to teach it to other people with the aim that they would then teach it to others also. There's this ongoing process of discipleship that's to be taking place in the Christian life. And this process of discipleship, is, as you think about your own life, it's, it's taken place throughout your life, especially your Christian life. Whenever I was very young, you know, obviously I was living in a home and, uh, with my parents, and my dad would, would sit down with the family each night, and we'd, we'd read the Bible together. So whenever I became a parent, what did I do with my kids? Well, I, I want to teach them the Bible. I guess the way you do that is you sit down with them at night and read the Bible. Other parents sit down at the breakfast table and read Scripture to their kids. But I learned how to do it at night before we went to bed. It's what I do. We learn so much by watching each other. And there's those formal times of sitting in a classroom and learning some things about the Christian life. And then there's just those, those informal times. Last night we were with the, the pastoral staff and we were just talking about people who were influential in our lives. And we just mentioned uh, people who had, who had said something or done something as we're doing life together in just kind of some obscure moment and, and how it has, has transformed so much of what we think about life. There have been times where uh, God has just really impressed upon me the need for me to be in, involved in imitating others. The, the reason that I came to Peoria, Illinois in fi- 2000, some 15 years ago, was because I, I found godly men in a church and I said, boy, I want to I want to be with those godly men and, and watch how they do life because I'm an imitator. I'm a disciple. So I sat down with, with Pastor Gary and then I just walked around. I watched Pastor Gary go to the hospital and visit people. I had no idea what you do when you go into a hospital room. I mean, the first thing that I would do when I would go into a hospital room is, is look for the antibacterial thing and just put that on your hand. You know? Then kind of sit quietly in a corner until they talk to me, you know. What did Pastor Gary, Pastor Gary walks into a room and engages in conversation and loves on people and hugs them and just has no fear. I would never have known how to do that unless I watched Pastor Gary do that. Sat down with Pastor Lyle and just watched him interact and talk about church finances and leadership and just, boy, I would not have known so many things unless I watched him. So many things that I, that I do now as, as a pastor, I realize, boy, I'm just, I'm just copying Pastor Rich. This is what he did or what he said or what he thought, and I'm just imitating it. We're imitators. And, and what we do is we look at people and say, okay, um, here's how they're taking these biblical truths, and here's how they're living it out, and, and that's what I need as well. We're imitators. So much of what we do is copied. And so I want to commend spiritual discipline of imitation to you. That's the first thing, we're imitators. Number two, here's the second thing I want you to think about. Uh, We are tempted to imitate evil. We're tempted to imitate evil. 
John is, is writing here to, to Gaius, and Gaius is a good guy, right? I mean, he said some good things about Gaius. Gaius is a, a person who's hospitable, and John recognizes this, the spiritual maturity that Gaius has, and he's complimented him on it already. And so Gaius isn't some just kind of flaky guy. He's, he's a person with, with some, some substance to him. But John understands that even Gaius might be tempted to, to practice evil as he sees others practicing evil. What's just happened in the epistle? Remember just earlier, starting in verse 9, he's talked about Diotrephes. I, I wrote something in the church by Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, doesn't acknowledge our authority, and he talks about the things that Diotrephes is doing. He's refusing to welcome the brothers. He stops those who, wants to, who want to. He puts them out of the church. He talks wicked nonsense against John. Diotrephes is not hospitable. Gaius is hospitable. Diotrephes is not. And now what, what's probably happened here is that Demetrius is a person who's bearing this letter to Gaius. And John's concern is that Gaius is not going to imitate someone like Demetrius, but is actually going to imitate someone like Diotrephes because of Diotrephes' influence in the church. And Gaius is going to begin practicing the same type of inhospitality that Diotrephes has practiced. He's going to imitate evil. So John says, look, beloved, my dear friend, don't imitate evil. Don't imitate evil. Imitate good. Scripture describes how influential evil is in our lives, right? It is so easy to be in a culture or in a, a large group setting or to be around certain people and, and find ourselves influenced by the way that they think or act, conduct themselves. Let me just give you a couple examples from Scripture. Four, four examples. There's more that we could talk about, but generally, let me give you four examples of, of how we can be influenced by others toward evil. One example is this. You and I can be influenced by those who reject God's law to do the same. In other words, those who, who say, okay, this is what God's word says, I'm not going to live in accordance with that. As we're around people like that, we can even, even if we're not consciously thinking that way, we can be influenced to behave in a, in a similar manner. Psalm chapter 1, the psalmist writes in verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so there's this temptation as we're around people who are rejecting God's law, that we could walk in that way. His delight instead is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The person who's wicked rejects God's law and lives in a way that's contrary to God's law. The person who's blessed delights in the law of the Lord and meditates upon it day and night. Greg and I were, were talking on uh, I think it was Friday night of, of kind of about some old youth ministry things. It kind of got me thinking about youth ministry and how I used to be a youth pastor and some of the things that really excited me about youth pastoring. And I think as a youth pastor, what I realized my goal was was um, not to necessarily create a fully mature disciple. It's very rare that as a high schooler you're going to have a, a high schooler who's fully reached spiritual maturity, Okay. If you find one, let me know, but I haven't seen it yet. I certainly wasn't a a mature disciple. But what you're doing as a youth pastor and a youth leader with a a youth is you're saying, okay, here are two paths, right? And here's a path that most people around you are going to pursue, and it's a path that rejects God's law. It's, It's the way of the scoffer. 
Now, here's the way of, of obedience to God's law. And, and here at a young age, I want you to begin to decide to walk down this, this path of obedience. And one of the greatest joys that I had as a youth pastor was seeing young people say, yeah, that's, that's the path that I want to walk down as well. And having other people around them encourage them in that. And now, now it's hard to believe I'm a dad of two kids in a youth group. We have four kids, and two of them have already reached youth group age. And, and just, um, first of all, when I was a youth pastor... I realized I really underestimated how tough it is to be the parent of children in the youth group. So my apologies to those of you who uh, experienced that from me. But I, I also am just so grateful that God has provided us with a youth ministry that has godly friends and, and young people and leaders who will say, I'm willing to invest in these kids and encourage them in this path of righteousness. But we're very easily influenced by those who reject God's law to do the same. It's very easy to come up with excuses of, to why to be disobedient to what God tells us to do. A second thing that, just as an example, we see in Scripture, we also see when we're talking about being tempted to imitate evil, we're also influenced by those who treat others poorly. We're also very influenced by those who, who treat others poorly. Listen to what the writer of Proverbs says. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. He says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We all have one purse. And what is he describing here? He's describing some people who would come alongside his son and say, hey, why don't we engage in, in oppressing other people and acting violently toward them so that we can receive their physical goods. We'll keep everything together and we'll just have this grand old time together. And listen to what the writer goes on to tell his son. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They are setting an ambush for their own lives. It's an incredibly vivid picture here, right? A person setting a trap for their own soul. He says that's what it's like to set it's like setting a trap for your own soul to be in companionship with people who are pursuing the oppression of others, violent behavior toward others. Most of us would say, well, I would never engage in violent behavior toward other people, but, but look at the principle there. The principle of Proverbs 1 is that we are influenced by others in how we treat individuals and other groups. In other words, what's happened here is this larger group has said uh, our self-interest is more important than these other individuals, and as you come into contact with us, relationship with us, we're going to engage in oppression of others. And I believe, I would argue, that often a large group dynamic can cause us to turn a blind eye to the needs and the plight of others. When a large group tells us it's okay to be unconcerned about the, the needs of others, we can agree with that. 
we can engage in some very wicked heart attitudes toward the other if our group tells us it's okay. And it's very hard to escape that, that influence. When I was in 10th grade, I was in this uh, class with sophomores, juniors, and seniors. It was an honors English class. And I remember there's there's one student there who just, in the class, everyone couldn't stand her. She was just so opinionated and, oh, she just drove us crazy. And we were incredibly unkind to her. And I had no realization of how unkind we were being until one day she was sick and the teacher just kind of confronted the class and said, boy, the way you guys are talking to this other student is is terrible. She goes, in fact, you, you even need to consider whether or not it's, it's racist. We were shocked. This girl was from a different cultural background. We were, of course, just highly offended that she would even suggest that. But when I stepped back and thought about it, I thought, are there some elements where she's just different and that's what's causing this, my, my friends and I, to treat her this way? It's incredibly convicting. Now, I don't want to make myself the, the hero of the story, but a couple years later, same class, freshman, sophomore, or sophomore, juniors, seniors, and now I'm a senior in this class, and another sophomore comes into the class, and, well, he's just, he is squirrely. I mean, he, no one in the class likes, same thing, no one likes this kid, and he's just kind of acting like a crazy kid. And same thing, same dynamic starts happening in the class. In fact, it gets so bad that some of the students begin passing out a petition to get him kicked out of the class, trying to get all the, ki- the kids to sign it, right? Well, I, I see it, and I go, guys, this, this isn't right. Just imagine, like, heroic music playing in the background. Like this. I said, no, we're not going to do this. And I took the petition, and I tore it up and threw it, threw it in the trash. Guys, guys, we can't treat this kid like that. He's, he's just a sophomore, and let's let puberty take care of it. Actually, I probably said, let's just let puberty take care of it. <laughs> I was a senior. So, yeah. But it's, it's hard for us to, to, to get our minds around how a group is treating another individual. And, you know, in, in, our, in our conservative evangelical Christian context, we have to be careful with that. Now, just to finish the story, this has nothing to do with the point, but that, that kid that was being picked on really appreciated me sticking up for him. And he had a best friend. He told his best friend about it. And his best friend had a girlfriend. He told his girlfriend about it. And his girlfriend said, well, you know what? Uh, I have a sister. We need, to, we need to set those guys up. And her name was Whitney. <laughs> so it worked out well, right? So, but that has nothing to do with the point. But it did work out well for me. We're also influenced by how other people res- respond to their emotions. You know, ever thought about that? We are influenced toward evil as we see other people respond to their emotion. Proverbs chapter 22 says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. This is Matthew 22, verses 24 and 25. Don't make friends with an angry person because you're going to become an angry person yourself. And so oftentimes, we give vent to our emotions in ways that are very unbiblical, and we live our life in very unwise ways because we see other people venting their emotions those ways, and so it must be okay for us to do it as well. We are so influenced toward evil, we don't even think about it. We're also influenced regarding how to define morality. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is describing the situation in the church and as he describes the situation in the church, he's talking about a person who's engaged in sexual immorality. 
and, and the church is accepting of it. And he says, guys, guys, you, you can't do that. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. And he goes on and says, verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the sw- and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. It's so easy to, to base our understanding of morality on, on the people that we're with. To gain an unbiblical understanding of what morality, especially sexual morality, looks like. Second Peter chapter 2, Peter tells us that false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. We are going to be influenced by people who come and say one thing about sexual morality, even though it's contrary to God's word. We're going to twist the the grace of God into this, this lawlessness. We are so easily influenced. We're imitators by nature. God has called us here in 3 John, hey, don't imitate evil. Turn on your brain. Watch how others are influencing you and, and be aware of it. There's so many other examples we could give. But let's, let's go on to this last point and then we're going to do some applications. Uh, thirdly, we, we must imitate good. We, we must be imitators of good. John only gives one moral imperative in third john he gives two two imperatives but the other imperative is just to to greet people there's only two imperatives he gives only one moral imperative one hey this is an instruction to do and and it's about imitation don't imitate evil but but imitate good this is the main instruction now why do we have to imitate good look what he says here in verse 11 he says whoever does good is from god and he's we've seen that idea before right 1 John 4, 1, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So the person who is doing good is from God in relationship with God. And kind of the same idea, the second reason he gives us for imitating good, whoever does evil has not seen God. And so if you see a person engaged in evil, that's a person who, who isn't really in relationship with God. 1 John 3, 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. To, to see God means you know him, you're in a relationship with him. That's 1 John 3, 6. And the person who does evil is walking in the darkness and is not the type of person that you want to emulate. Proverbs 13, 15 says the way of the transgressor is, is hard, right? So, we must imitate good. Why do we do that? Because that's, that's the person who's really in relationship with God. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, as you look at verse 12, you encounter Demetrius there. As you encounter Demetrius, you see several examples of of what we need to look for when we decide to imitate people. Four things here that we see, I think, from this passage that helps us understand who we're supposed to imitate. Here's number one. 
It's probably imitating good. Number one, we need to imitate people who have a good reputation with, with other believers. It says Demetrius has received a, a good testimony from everyone. We see that expression, a good testimony from everyone, several places in Scripture. For example, Acts 6.3, when he's talking about deacons, the, the elders and apostles say, Therefore, brothers, pick out from you seven men of good repute, good reputation. Cornelius in Acts 10 is referred to as an upright and God-fearing man who's well-spoken of. Acts 16.2, same thing about Timothy. He's well-spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Ananias, as Paul is talking in Acts 22, says Ananias was well-spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. And this, this word, whenever, whenever, it says, um, whenever it says that Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone, he uses that perfect tense that we've talked about before. It describes something that's taken place in the past that has fruit in the present. It's this, this ongoing effect. Demetrius is not just a person who one time had a good reputation or just right now has a good reputation, but he's a person who's received this good testimony from all, and it's this ongoing good reputation that Demetrius has. He's, he's proven himself, and all Christians who, who know him have good things to say about him. As you're looking at people to imitate, and I would commend to you imitation, discipleship, as you're looking for people to imitate, to say that's the type of person I want to pattern portions of my life after, you want to look for people who have good reputation among other believers. Think of our our dear friend, Davine. There's no one here who's spent time with her who couldn't tell you good things about Davine. What a warm, loving person she was and what a joy it was to, to talk with her and spend time with her and how you left encouraged in your time with her. We're talking about a person who's the same, whoever they're with, has a good reputation among the believers. Here's another thing. Number two, we want to imitate people not only who have a good reputation with other believers, but we want to imitate people who are obedient to the truth. He says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the the truth itself. Demetrius loves the truth. He's obedient to the truth. We're talking here about people who are passionate about the truth. They don't just kind of know the superficial things about the Christian faith. There are people who say, okay, here's what God's Word says, and I'm I'm passionate about being obedient to it. I, I passionately want to know it. The psalmist describes it this way in Psalm 119, verse 63. Psalm 119, 63 says, I am a companion. I'm, I'm in relationship. I'm in, with, in fellowship with all who fear you. Those are the people that I'm spending time with and consider myself in close relationship with. Those who fear you of those who keep your precepts. They know God's Word, and they're studying, with, studying it. They're not just people who are kind of familiar with church lingo. They're people who are passionate about the truth. I remember one time I was uh, talking with a couple who was engaged, and as I was talking to the couple who was engaged, the, the, uh, the, the young lady kept talking about God's Word, and she says, well, this is kind of one Scripture passage that I'm thinking about, and, and here's kind of how I've been applying it. Here's what this verse says, and she could recite the verse, and here's how I'm applying it. I'm like, man, uh, Guy, this is the girl to stick with, right? (laughs) This is someone you want to spend your time with, a person who's processing God's Word and is passionate about God's Word and is obedient to it, trying to live it out. A person who's obedient to the truth is also countercultural, right? 
Imitate people who are obedient to the truth. If they're obedient to the truth, they're going to be people who are living countercultural lives. When you're kind of looking around at people to imitate their life, you don't want to imitate someone who's just kind of like everybody else. You want to kind of find that, that person who's slightly off, at least slightly off. They're a person who, they don't conduct themselves the way that everyone else around them conducts themselves. The decisions they make are, are countercultural so often. Here's how Jesus said it in John 15. He said, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Jesus says, look, I'm, I'm going to be persecuted. And if that's how they treat me, that's how they're going to treat you as, as well. When you're looking around you at, at people to pattern your life after, don't pattern your life after the, the people who kind of are just like everybody else. If there's some sort of Christian thing that's in vogue, that's kind of what they're doing as well. Look for the people who are kind of speaking some uncomfortable truths at uncomfortable times, and those are the people who say, that, that's who I want to emulate because they're not afraid to kind of look at life differently. They're the people who are doing some different things with their parenting. And you look at them, boy, I don't see anyone else doing this with, with their kids, but they're making some really hard decisions in, in how they disciple their, their children. Or you look at them and you see how they're conducting themselves in school. And, man, they make some decisions about how to go through school that are different than other people. And the reason they're making those decisions is because they want to be obedient to God and his word. Or you look at how they're in, in, engaged in a dating relationship. Man, that, that person's engaged in a dating relationship differently than a lot of people around me. I want to emulate that. Or look at their marriage and look at some of the decisions they make in their marriage. Look at some of the decisions they make about their finances. Over and over again, you see, man, those guys are countercultural. That's the people you want to emulate because those are the people who are being obedient to the truth. They live it out. Hebrews 13, 7. Hebrews 13, 7. This is, this is really important too, I think, as you think about who you're going to imitate in life. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the, and I love this phrase, the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. People who are obedient to the truth over their lives have a different outcome of life, right? We live in a really strange culture, and the evangelical church is affected by this as well. There's kind of this hero worship of youth that seems very foolish sometimes to me, right? Young people haven't proven themselves yet. And here, we're, we're talking about leaders who have who have proven themselves, and you look at the outcome of their life and say, boy, the way that they've gone through this time of suffering and the things that they've gone through and the things that they've endured, and not saying their life looks rosy, but, but the way that God has grown them, grown them through trials and difficulties, and I look at them, and boy, that's where I want to be when I reach their stage of, of life, of spiritual maturity. I saw something this last week, kind of a, a tweet came out from a young celebrity, and, and this person, uh, unfortunately, has just kind of made some terrible life decisions, and terrible things have happened to her, and she had this tweet, very um, harsh toward a biblical worldview, and 
was, was praised for the tweet. I thought, boy, before I really said and committed myself to following after the example of a person, I'd say, you know, where has this worldview led them, right? Where have their decisions about finances led them? Where have their decisions about parenting led them? Where have their decisions about morality led them? Those would be some questions I'd ask myself. Hebrews 13, 7, consider the outcome of their way of life. Number three, imitate people who have a good reputation with, with church leaders. John says, uh, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone, from the truth itself, and us. We also add our testimony. You know that our testimony is true, and we've talked about that as we've gone through John's epistles. So we're looking for people who have a good reputation with church leaders. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 would talk to the, the people. This is beautiful passage on, with dealing with sar, sarcasm or, or dealing with an issue using sarcasm and talks about how they've emulated the wrong people. They haven't followed their example. And he says this in verse 15. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. And that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. We need people that, that church leaders who we respect have kind of set up and said, hey, these are some people that you should follow. Pattern your life after. Number four, think about imitating good. Uh, imitate people who are imitating Christ, right? That's ultimately what we're talking about. Uh, people are going to fail. People are going to fail you. Even the, the leaders who, who love you the most, even the person who's discipling you who just seems to do so well, there's going to be areas where they fail. And so when we talk about imitating others, we're not talking about imitating every aspect of their lives. What we're saying is we're going to, need to look at other people's lives and we're going to say, okay, uh, where do I see other people being obedient to the principles of Scripture and applying them in, in some very practical ways? And, and how can I do that as well? 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. Ultimately, we're not imitating people. We're imitating Christ as people are imitating Christ. Hebrews 12, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that we, you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. How does this happen? How does this type of imitation take place? It's formal. I encourage you to be engaged in, in formal discipleship relationships, to be engaged in uh, studying God's Word with other people, and I encourage you to be involved in, in care groups. We're going to be talking more about care groups as the summer goes on, and just encourage every person in our church to be involved in and care group or some sort of ministry like that that allows us to live life together and talk about, okay, 
here's what's going on in my life, and, and here's this, this principle that I'm thinking through, and, and here's what I'm doing here, and, and just watching how other people are obedient to God's word. It might also help just to do this. It might help also just to do this, even, even this morning. So, okay, what are, those, what are those growth areas that I need help on in my life, that I, that I need help with in my life? Maybe for some of you, it's finances. You've just made some really bad financial decisions. Or as you look at God's word, you realize, okay, I've made some good financial decisions in terms of how the world would, would, would view finances, but I, I don't think that I'm in step with what God would want me to be doing. Or maybe there's, you identify another growth area. Maybe it's uh, sexual immorality. You say, boy, when it comes to, to sexual immorality, I'm, I'm just not living my life as God has called me to live it. And and I want to, but, but I don't know how. I just can't have victory in this area. Or maybe it's an issue of, of parenting. You're struggling. I, I don't know how to, to do this parenting thing. And I, I thought I was doing it, and, and things seemed kind of going like okay. And, and then all of a sudden, man, things are just exploding. I, I don't know what to do. Or maybe it's just your marriage or some sort of other relationship. You say, okay, I, I want to be obedient in this area, but, but I don't know how. Identify some growth areas. And then prayerfully think through who are people that God has brought into your life that are doing those things well? And, and then ask God for opportunities to be in relationship with them. And, and maybe you don't know anyone, and we as, as church leaders would love to talk with you about one-on-one discipleship relationships you can get in or, or, or care groups you can get involved in to pursue that. It's formal. It's learning truths about Scripture, but, but it's also just watching and imitating People who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who know him and want to be obedient to him. And all of us as a church, as a community of faith, saying, okay, here's, here's our passion for the truth, and then now we're going to live it out. And we're going to encourage one another in that process, and we're going to imitate each other as we imitate Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd give us the, the grace first of all, to, to be worthy of imitation. That our lives would be faithful to you, that we have a good testimony with other believers, we'd have a good testimony with truth, a good testimony with church leaders. And we'd be imitating Christ. And we pray that you'd bring people in our life and just watch and, and learn from and imitate. Help us as a church to have that, that passion, to be involved in each other's lives and to think about hospitality, that we'd be engaged in this process of living life together for your glory. We know we, we cannot do what you've called us to do apart from doing it the way that you've called us to do it. So help us to be obedient to you by your grace. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.